0: Nobody on the playoffs to Murphy. Left hand batter struck three call to the knees and right down the middle of the plate, but down Murphy sometimes go
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of the Autobot podcast. Uh, My name is Justin Vibber. I'm joined as always by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. on uh, this episode. We're going to talk about auction strategy. We took, uh, we put the call out there on our Twitter account at Autobot pod, asking for some questions from our listeners about things they wanted to know about how to better prepare and and, uh, perform during an auction. So. We're going to respond to those, and then we're going to sort of give some other general tips and overview of, the, of, of how to how to strategize for your auto new auctions. The first segment that I want to start with, and I'll start with a question we received on Twitter. This first section is basically just going to be about how do you prepare for your auction? You're not in the auction yet, but before you get into the auction, what do you do to prepare for it? So the question we got on Twitter from Aaron Bennett was having specifically to do with allocating a percentage between hitters and pitchers. So his question was, their question was, do you devote 65 to 70% of your auction dollars on offense? Or or do you, I, I guess I don't understand the other part of it, but do you devote 65 to 70% of your total dollars on offense, kept players and players acquired at auction? Um, and if not, what is right, your general saying split?
0: including what you've kept. Right, so I think, split.
1: so that's an interesting point too, and that sort of is related to some of the keeper things that we've been talking about where, Personally, I think right now the split that I've been using for the surplus calculator dollar values is a 6238 hitter pitcher split. It might be 6337. It's somewhere, it's it's one of those two, so it's very close to that range. And I think the intention of this question is then to say if your league keep let's say your keepers in your given league, half of the salary kept was for pitchers and half for hitters. I think the intention of the question is would you still expect Post auction, the same split, and the answer is I don't know. And what that comes down to is something that, and I know that's a cop out, but (laughs) one of the things that I've added to the surplus calculator is an adjustment for an adjusted inflated dollar value. So there's a standard dollar value in the surplus calculator, and then I have a column for take that inflation in a normal year when it's not negative, let's say it's 20%, and then it would show you what that inflated value for. Those free agents are. So you sort of have an idea of what your adjustment might be if you need to bid on them at auction. But what I've done is I also, I also at one point had an experimental column. Now that was just general inflation. That's all players kept and all value available at the auction and all money left to spend. But then I had sort of an experimental factor where I split it into inflation specific to hitters and in specific to pitchers, and then adjusted the dollar values based on that. I did away with it on on the surplus calculator. I never really went any further than that because in my experience, at least, I don't know that you can really look at inflation so specifically between hitters and pitchers. I think it's more just a general league effect for all players. I don't think if 50% of the keeper money is spent on pitchers that it tells you anything about how much is going to be spent at auction.
2: I I think if anything, it goes the opposite, right? If I've got... A bunch of really good cheap hitters lined up. My offense is looking good, and as a result, I can overspend. I'm not going to overspend that on like Soto or Trout. I've already got good young hitters, and I've already got good, you know I've got an offense I feel good about. I'm going to overspend that excess. I'm going to use that that extra money on you know Cole or Bieber or Degrom because that's who I need to accent the the offense I've already got in place. So. Now, that's not always the case, right? I mean, I may have a really good young offense that's really close to great and I still need a soda or I still need a trout to right. put it over the top. So I might spend it there. But I, I don't I, I think you're right. I don't think you can just assume that inflation goes one way or the other because I can see lots of reasons it would go either way. And, and I think what that sort of speaks to, and, and it's probably my my answer to this question is there's a split that exists when you're creating values, but once the auction starts, that's not a real thing. There's no, there's no split in the auction. There's no plan to spend 60% of my money one way right. or another way or anything else. I'm going to buy what I need based on what my team is and what the auction is doing. And so it never crosses my mind during the auction like, oh, I've already spent 63% of my money on hitters, so I need to focus on pitching now. If I've spent most of my money on hitters and I look at my pitching and my pitching looks good, I'm going to keep spending on hitters. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it also speaks to something that I know, Chad, you've been harping on on some of these episodes we've we've recorded is it has to do with scarcity, too, right? Like you could end up finding a lot more money spent at pitcher when there's only a couple of good pitchers left at auction more than you would have expected. So I agree. I don't think trying to predict a specific inflation tied only to hitters or only to pitchers, I think that's just more work than is necessary, and it's not productive. But to answer the question about my split again, it's either sixty-two thirty-eight or sixty-three thirty-seven. That's based on when I looked at this a few years ago, the historical auto new auction data. I will say that in general, if I'm looking at my keepers, like let's say I'm trying to make keeper decisions and I'm I'm looking at how much sp- money I'm spending on hitters versus pitchers, I might want to be a little more weighted on the hitter side for keepers than pitchers. But most of that is because I think there's just more certainty with hitters, right? Like there's more variance with pitchers. I'd rather be a little cheaper on pitchers knowing that I can capture some upside and lock in more certainty on the hitting side. So maybe I would spend a little bit more on hitters as far as keepers go. But again, everybody if everybody else is doing that, then you're not going to get any deal at auction. So it's, it's so league dependent and dependent on the, the players that are available during yeah, your and, auction.
0: And your situation and how you've planned up to that point. In building your team like i think the question makes a little bit more sense if it was like a redraft auction or something where you're like we're starting clean every year and i need to really like build an overall strategy for this but but these you guys covered it man it's like a hundred percent what are you what is your team what does your team need and and it has nothing to do with uh, overall arching overarching budgets for a general like I mean, I, I don't want to feel like we're, we're telling this like, but we've kind of like, I don't, re- I reject the premise a little bit of the question, right? And like, that's, that's not to be harsh, but it's like, that's the way you should think about it. You shouldn't think about like, a lot of people do auction prep that is sort of in this vein of thinking of, I want to spend a little bit more money on hitting because of the certainty that Justin mentioned. And, and that's sort of a traditional way of thinking about it. But because of the auto new market dynamic with the market within your league, you have to really work with that, not just in, not just ahead, in the prep stage, but in in auction and through the whole season. And you shouldn't feel bad if you're spending fifty percent of your money on pitching or twenty percent of your money on pitching, because if you hit on prospects and you hit on some good players, th- those are both perfectly valid ways to to succeed. So,
1: yeah, I I don't think there's any there's multiple ways to to build a winning team right. in AutoNuke. So I don't think you have to restrict yourself to one set of percentages on hitting or pitching. The other thing I want to mention too is that that's one of the reasons why I use historical auto new auction results to inform what my split is because not that I think that I you know you mentioned the idea that some managers are going to spend more on hitting because you know it's just more stable and it's more reliable. Well that's already baked into that, right? That that 62% is partially already it's basically already accounting for the fact that that's what auto new managers are doing is they're buying more certainty. Right. And I don't want to deviate too much from that. Like ideally my ideal roster in a first year league. Now that's, that's the thing. Like in, in return yeah. leagues, you have all, all the inflation dynamics and scarcity dynamics in a first year league in general. Yeah. I probably do want to come out of auction somewhat close to that split, unless I really identify a lot of pitching values. And I don't mind that I spent 20% on my pitchers because I still think they bring enough value to be you know, worth 30% of my, you know, 35% of my $400 cap. But that's why I use that sort of historical split to inform what I'm doing for dollar values on the front end. But then I agree with Chad. Once I'm in auction, I'm not really worrying too much about what I'm spending. I'm just targeting who I want and where I think those prices are good and not, I have many leagues where I have 45% money spent on pitching. And I've had many leagues where I've had 15% on, on pitching and, you know, it, it all depends on your roster construction.
2: So it's probably worth at some point doing a, a deeper dive into how that historical split compares to where points actually come from, right? Because I think one of the one of the challenges with using a historical split, and this isn't to say you shouldn't use it. I think it's the it's probably the best combination of ease of use and value that you're going to get. But I'd be sort of curious to know, like, I mean, I guess it's it's the money ball question, right? If you go back twenty years. How are baseball teams dividing their money between on-base percentage and batting average? Well, you could use a historical data that says that batting average is more valuable than on-base percentage based on where they're spending their money, but it would be wrong. And and so there is actually an opportunity here for someone who looks more closely at where the point split is coming from and sets value based on that, like maybe the points come 80% from hitting maybe it comes 50% from hitting there's an opportunity to dive into that and if you feel confident in your research there to exploit it right if if the if it's actually should be more like a 53 47 split yeah then the, you can take advantage of that
0: one of the things we talk about a lot and I don't know if we ever dive into it but I think we're, we're sort of skirting around it but it's like that that's totally right right like we there are many ways to win in auto new we say that all the time what that means is there are many ways to allocate your money and there probably is a historical model way of allocating your money that we haven't like i'm not sure anyone has done the full uh, i don't know justin if you've done like the full work for this or not but but if that, but like that, might be another way to build the team. But like, there just there just isn't a template, right? There just isn't a template because it depends on production that year, values that year, and who you're able to hit on. So like, meaning, like you know, who you get below value, who you get surplus out of, who you bid on that everyone turns out to like, but stunk or whatever. And like, it you know, it just sort of it just so depends on that. That I, yeah, I you know because we. I, I'm almost like concerned, Chad, about your question, because we always talk about how there's so many ways to win an auto new, but you're sort of getting at, here's the one true formula, right? If we have, if we know that points come from here versus here, but like, if there is a marketing efficiency there, it's definitely worth exploiting. I don't know, that got a little bit in the weeds, but.
1: Well, I, I it's been a few years since I've done this, but I used to produce retrospective dollar values for Fangraphs points, where basically after the season is concluded, I looked at. Which players provided the most value above replacement, and and in, the, in a retrospective point of view, I was defining de, defining replacement level as the point where you need n number of first basements to fill your first base utility games, basically. And so I had I had retrospective dollar values that I calculated. I just pulled up my sheet. This was back in 2017, and looking at the actual points above baseline for. Offense versus pitching, it looks like about 60 to 61% of the points above replacement came from offense versus pitching. So slightly lower from offense than my auction-defined split, which is what I would have expected because I think you do find that there are are slightly more points that you're going to get from pitching above replacement than hitting, but you're also – the market isn't going to pay – 100% for those points for pitching because it's a a more volatile set of points basically is what it comes down to. But
2: what that suggests is that actually like you should be, when you're you're rebuilding, right? When you're making trades and you're thinking about the future, you should be looking for discounted hitting because that discounted hitting is more valuable because at the auction, people are overspending on hitting relative to pitching. It's a small effect. If you're looking at 60% versus 63 or whatever it is, but it does mean that you know a a $15 bat might cost you a $16 at auction whereas a $15 arm might only cost you 14 at auction and so if you can build your your offense through trades and lock in underpriced pieces there you can you can underpay for pitching points at auction based on the historical data
1: yeah that sounds right yeah i agree with all that i think that's those are fair points chad all right, let's move on to the next section. Now I wanted to sort of give a, we have one one Twitter question that, that relates to this topic, but I also want to give a quick overview of basically if you're new to the auto new auction, how it all works. Functionally, when you're, when you're in the draft, you're going to have a watch list where you can add players that you would like to add to the watch list. That's a good place to add players, both that you want to nominate and also that you might be interested in acquiring during the auction. I like to kind of have two different phases of that watch list where parts of it are people I don't want, but they're names I wanna throw out there to sort of drive up some prices. And then the other part, the, other, the larger section of my watch list is definitely players that I'm interested in. You know, you've got a seg- segment at the top of the screen where you're actually gonna make your bids. You're gonna see who's up for bid now, the time remaining on that bid. Any other info? I, I really should have let Niv cover some of this as far as what you think. the oh, most yeah, important look, parts just, of that page.
0: Let me just hop in real quick. I mean, Justin nailed it. The watch list is like your core. It's it sits in the middle of the page. It's like absolutely your nerve center in your draft. Before we get into uh, it too quickly, because this like this this leads the question a little bit. But the auction draft is incredibly long and incredibly intense. Like it's like both those things at the same time. It's both fast and slow. It. Uh, lasts a long time but also in the moment it can it can lead to irrational decisions and like a little bit of and it's fun okay like don't get me wrong this is like this is the, this is the super fun day and yeah we, the auction page is gonna have uh, in the top left sort of tell you what's going on currently in the auction who's being bid on who's the highest bidder how much the money is in the top right you can chat with everyone in your league in the middle of the page like right smack dab in the middle of the page if you're on a desktop. Is your watch list. Your watch list, you can bring in your, you can import your watch list from your normal auto new watch list, but the draft watch list and your normal auto new watch list are actually independent. The reason is that what Justin said, like sometimes you're going to have players that you want to nominate that you don't really care about tracking their performance in the season. Other players, you're actually like, these are my sleepers, right? The beauty of having two is that you can separate that out. The beauty of, the draft is that you can import your regular auction watch list or your regular, sorry, your regular auto new watch list into the draft watch list. So you can keep that one-to-one. And if you are working in the off season of like, here's all these names I'm interested in and I really want to acquire at auction, and you're keeping that really neat and together, you can just one click, import all those right away. There's a search in the bottom left that gives you sort of a quick ability to find new names, find players as you're going, obviously, there's no way you're gonna have every single name at your fingertips in your watch list at the beginning of the draft. If you click a star, there's like a little star icon next to each player, and that'll just add them to your watch list right away. So you can you can even go in there, search, and just compile a list real quick in there if you like are in between picks or taking a little break or someone's up for a nomination you don't care about. And then bottom right, you can see how much money you have left, how much cap space you have left, uh, and how much, sorry, how much cap space and how many roster spots you have left you and everyone else in your league. And there's quick links there, so you can go and go into more detail about each team. The question is about navigating all that stuff I just said, right? And that's like six pretty big components, six important components, I would say. Well, one thing
1: I want to interject with real quick is that at least as far as familiarizing yourself with that page and pre-filling your watch list, you can do that before your auction begins. You can do it as soon as the keeper deadline passes. Right. As long as the, can you do it even if your auction isn't scheduled yet? I think or think your the auction, auction might need to be? to be scheduled. I think it does. I think so. If, if Once your auction is scheduled officially through the, through the page, through the site, then you, there will be a link on your homepage. You can click on that a week before, two weeks before, earlier the same day. It doesn't really matter. So you can familiarize yourself with how the, well, how the page looks. You're obviously not going to see those auctions happening live because it hasn't started yet, but you can start adding players to your watch list review how everything looks and and get familiar with it. Uh, well, and I, you,
2: you don't even have to wait for that to start building your watch list, right? Because you can start building your watch list using your team true, watch I, list and then use the import function. So don't, don't even wait for... I mean, to be honest, I start building my draft watch list basically the second the season is over. And it's not like a big active process for me. But it is every time I read an article or hear a podcast or hear someone talk about someone that I'm like, oh, that guy's interesting. I drop him in my watch list. That way they're there. Yeah. And I don't have to think about it, and and I find actually for me my watch list is most useful for tracking those end of draft guys I might forget. Right. Like I don't need to put Jacob Degrom on my watch list. I like if I if I need a pitcher, even if I don't need a pitcher, I will remember that I that he should be nominated because he's he's well known. But like, do I sometimes forget about like uh, someone like a Ha Kim? Right. Who doesn't have stats from last year, doesn't show up on a lot of lists, isn't really a prospect, sort of falls in between, like, I might. And if I'm interested in him, then I want, then I, he's the kind of guy I need to make sure I have in my watch list because otherwise I might literally forget he exists during the auction. (laughs) And that, that's what I use my watch list for more than anything else.
0: Right. But the, the greater point that Justin's making, which I like, I think is basically, there are two things. One, you can start prepping right away. And two, it's imperative, it's imperative imperative this is i do not want to understate it if you have never done an auto new auction draft you need to go to the auction draft page as soon as it's open for your league and at least look at the page but if the first time you look at the page is 15 seconds before the thing is uh, started you are setting yourself up for a real mess of an auction and that isn't to say the page is complicated or anything like that it's just to say that like the draft is complicated, right? The auction draft is complicated and requires, and that's like the question. So I'll, I'll I'll just go ahead and read it. Like at average bro 21 asked, how do you approach managing the very quick clock in the auction room? It's so a 30 second clock while also looking at other pages such as the roster page, surplus calculator, et cetera.
2: So 30 second clock for nominations. It's a 15 second clock once Forbidden. the player has been nominated. Yeah, Right.
0: and, And that's, to me, this is like, this is the right question. This is exactly the right question. And we've already sort of gotten at our answers for it, which I think is really rely on your draft watch list, right? That tool is there in a way that you can start prepping on it, like Chad said, in October of the previous year, during the playoffs, you know, people wonder like, why doesn't the off season move a little faster? It's like, so you have time to do things like this, right? You can start putting names in, you can just spend a couple days and be like, I'm just gonna go through every deep deep sleeper name and then I will be able to track the news on them from the watch list page. And then the ones that I don't like, I will discard and then I'll have a draft watch list ready to go. So rely on your draft watch list heavily and come in with a plan, right? Like come in with, for me at least, and you know I'll, I'll let Justin answer right after this, but like, because I try to keep the draft as simple as possible. And the answer for me is, be focused on certain positions, have three or four options at each position, right? You can't rope yourself into one one person above all else, because if you do that, you, you, you're you just, of course you won't get that player. So give yourself a few options to each position that you need, focus your positions, build the draft watch list, and just have a plan for who are the guys, again, what Justin said, some players that I want to auction when I just need filler, when I need a minute, when I don't players I don't care about bidding on, but I know other people will spend money on, that'll help me suck up some of that excess cash in the in the league, and players that I really want to target and get. That to Chad's point, maybe I don't necessarily uh, want to have to search and pull up. They won't be in the top fifty players that are available in the search box and won't be readily accessible to me in other ways. So have a plan, make it as simple as possible. I think that's like the way I'd answer Average Bro21's question on this. Justin, like, do you think there's anything there that I missed? A couple of things. I, I wanna circle
1: back a little bit to the conversation we had just before this question. Yeah. I do still think, like Chad was talking about, the fact that you can now import your watch list targets, and that's a great feature to use. If you're new to the auction site though, you should still, I would highly recommend you still do that in the auction page because it's a different search right you're doing a player search within that auction page you need to get familiar with how do i find certain players you need to know that there's a there's an option to change the filter from major league player to minor league player to all and get familiar with that because sometimes you'll, you'll search for a, a prospect and you won't find them and you'll go what am i doing
0: wrong and there's also a top 50 player like top players there's like to Justin's point there are unique features on this page that you will not see in search you will not see on other parts of other parts of the site they're meant to facilitate the draft but you should be familiar with them like I couldn't agree with that more Justin that's totally right I
2: I just want to I'm gonna I want to caveat a little bit of what you guys are saying because I think that going in early and familiarizing yourself with that page is valuable However, I feel like you guys are both making it sound like if you, if you show up to your draft you haven't spent time getting familiar with this page, you might as well quit. What's the point of being here? No, it's no, not, no, no. That's fair enough. Like, I that. think it's a very intuitive page and the the creator of this page <laughs> has spent a lot of time thinking about it and building it out in a way that is actually very functional and very easy to use.
0: It's and been iterated so, on a lot and it's and it works on every device. It, it's just HTML and JavaScript. It's not technology heavy. It doesn't require plugins, it doesn't require any kind of like weird third-party code. It just runs and it's meant to be really simple. The real problem isn't the page and it's what Ch- to chad's point it's absolutely not the page it's it's the 15 second timer and the 30 second timer that that i think the twitter question was about right like i think that's it, true i
2: guess i'm just i'm get what i'm getting at is if you don't look at that page at all before your draft starts before your auction starts you will be i will say four nominations in at which point you will have caught up to like ninety-five percent of what you need to know on that page. And there'll be a couple little things maybe you don't quite catch up with, but like you can get there pretty quickly. And so don't feel like this is something that takes a lot of research or you have like it is absolutely valuable to go in and look at that page and get familiar with it. It is valuable to set your watch list there. If that's not what you did or it's not what you're going to do, that's that's fine. But I do think that the question to your point is is more about like. You actually need multiple pages, right? When you're doing a draft, there's multiple things you're looking at, multiple screens you're looking at, and, and how do you handle that? And I think like, I actually think one of the beauties of the auto new auction page is that it's simple enough that I feel like I can click away and go look at something else if I need to, and not come back and be lost or confused.
1: Yeah. My, my answer to the, to specifically to this question is for me personally, I have two monitors. <laughs> I cannot draft In you, without having, and I know that's not feasible for everybody. And I know there are people that, that, that do draft on their phone, but for me, that's my process that works for me Is one page, one monitor is open to the surplus calculator or my roster organizer. So I can look at my team and then the other, the other screen is devoted only to the auction. And, and the reason that's important to me, and I don't know if you guys have experienced this or not. But every time my wife comes down and checks on how I'm doing in my auction, I look away and I look back and a player I wanted and would have bid to $7 <laughs> just got one for a dollar. And I go, get out of here. <laughs> you're me."
0: And I feel
2: I like it's kind those... of sweet that your wife comes down and checks on how your auctions are going. She, she my, literally... my, wife, my wife checks on things like, are you ready to take care of the kids again? My,
0: my girlfriend knows better than to come in. She uh... literally
1: did that the other night. And, and I did. I was like, you got to leave. You're distracting oh. me.
2: But that's she why. waits till after my auction. She does ask me after every auction if I won my draft. Every, <laughs> Did every you year, win, everyone, honey. Every and you know I go through. I have I have six other new leagues. I've got a couple of like I go through like eight, ten auctions or drafts a year. And every single one, she's like, "Did you win your draft?" And I'm like, I, I I can't answer that question. <laughs> <It doesn't laughs> sure, you make can. Any are are you number one on the surplus? I, calc? I can, you won your draft. I can I can lose a draft. That's right. But I'm not sure I
0: can win it. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. That, that, I agree. That, that probably comes in a little bit later. The, the, the
1: point that. I'm trying to reinforce here is that it seems like it's all it takes is a moment for you to miss an opportunity that you really would have wanted to be in. And that's where, you know, yes, there's clock anxiety. and And the reason I was suggesting, and Chad's right, it's not that the site or the navigation of that page is overbearing. It's not at all. But if you're not used to it, it's the first thing you're going to make mistakes with. is and, and if you're panicking because you're on the clock and you have to make a nomination and you don't have anyone in your watch list and you don't know how to find somebody on that page to add them to your watch list or to nominate them, unlike a lot of other draft softwares where they'll just have like a a whole slew of names and everyone's just picking the top name on that list to, to draft or throw up for bid, AutoNews is a little different where you have to actively search or click a link that says, look at all the top outfielders and things like that. Like that's the part that I would get familiar with so that you're comfortable. So you're not panicking to make a nomination or to, you know, to and, and that's another reason why I have two screens. I want to see what is my max bid for this guy while the auctions occurring rather than navigating away from that page on a single monitor to, to try to find that information and then losing out to,
2: to get back to this really tactically. I do think if you have two, two monitors or two devices, it, you should use it if you can. And, and as Niv pointed out, the draft software works in a lot of places. And so one option, if if all you have is a laptop and your phone, you could draft on your phone and have your spreadsheets open on your laptop. Sure, it's not yep. a crazy thing to do. And the reality is I can fo- I can like on my phone, I can see the draft room, and I can see the most important parts there. And my spreadsheet, I need to be bigger. And so that's the way I would do that. the The other thing I do that I think is is pretty useful is I try to get everything except the draft room into a single page. And so what that means for me is like, I don't use the surplus calculator during my auctions. What I do is I create lists of targets. I I create a spreadsheet that has my current roster, a a depth chart, like an active depth chart. Like I've got, okay, I've got my first baseman. Here's my backup first baseman. I've got my three middle infielders. Here's my backups there. Along with some either dollar amounts or notation that I need something, right? Okay, I, I have four middle infielders. I want a fifth. I have six outfielders. I want two more. Something that tells me that. And then I've got a list of players by... Target. So, like, if I know I need outfielders, I've got a list of outfielders I'm interested in. If I know I need pitching, I've got a list of pitchers I need. In, I'm interested in, with prices somehow noted there as well. And over the years, I've evolved how I do that, and I do it lots of different ways. But the important thing is, I've got one tab open in my browser, which is the draft. And I've got one tab, which is a Google sheet that allows me to see literally everything else I need. It's,
0: it's like everything instead of having 15 different tabs open, right. right? I
2: never have to go to my roster page in auto new. I never have to go to the surplus calculator. I never have to go. The only thing I sometimes have to do is quickly do a fan graph search or a news search. If I want to get some information about a player that I'm that I wasn't expecting or that someone I haven't thought about or whatever. But I try to stick to just those two tabs as much as I possibly can. And that allows me to then, player gets nominated, go to my spreadsheet. Quickly look at the spreadsheet and see, is he one of my targets? Where does he fit in? How much do I think I can pay for him? Go back. That can be a little too slow late in the draft when you're into guys who might go for a dollar. But for 95% of the draft... That's, I have plenty of time to go back and forth between the two. The problem that I used to have, and I, this happened to me all the time, is I would, a guy would get nominated. I would go look at my spreadsheet of my roster. I would then go look at my list of targets. I would then go look at the surplus calculator to get a price on the guy. And by the time I got back, there was like one second left. And if I, <laughs> and I might have missed out on him by keeping it all in one place, I think it, it really simplifies things. That spreadsheet is, is, Super helpful for me, and it's allowed me to to m- maneuver much more quickly in, in auctions. A- and then the other thing I do is I use the watch list I mentioned before. I use the watch list for guys I might forget about. I also use the watch list for guys I don't want. I've got my my list of targets on my spreadsheet, and that's where I'm focused on. You know, who am I going to try to pick up? Who am I going to try to add? I've got a list of guys who I think are going to go for at least $5 to $10 who I don't want, who are in my watch list, because when it's my turn to nominate, I don't want to have to go searching for, it's really hard to find someone you're not looking for, right? And so when I'm ready to nominate, but I don't want to nominate one of my guys, I want to be in a position where I can just pick off from the list. Okay. This is a starting pitcher who I know is in that $15 to $20 tier who I don't need or I don't want or whatever. I'm going to nominate them when I want that. When I want to nominate the guys I want, I can go look for them because I know who they are, and I'm looking for very specific names. And, and so then I you search to find. Okay, I actually do want to buy Zach Pleissack. I'm going to go search for Zach Pleissack. It's much easier to do that than to say I know I don't want a roughly seventeen dollar pitcher. So where who, who is that? And so that's why I create a list of guys I can throw away when when needed.
0: Yeah, I think the answer is is simply like, just keep it as, make it as simple as possible and make sure you know where your your information is, right? And I think if you are flipping between tabs sort of frantically, that's just going to feed into your clock anxiety. And I understand that experience as a person who has lived it and has built uh, the page to kind of minimize the amount of, like, we... I want the site to give you as little clock anxiety as possible because you're already providing it. Everyone's already providing it in the draft, right? So so I understand that experience and I just want to be like really clear. Clock anxiety is a real thing. The best way to do it is to keep it as simple as you can. And if that means, you know, Justin's, I have two screens and one is my spreadsheet and one is this. Chad, I have two tabs. If it's draft on your iPad, draft on your phone, draft on whatever small device you have. Like all those options are available to you, but it's just whatever you can make yourself comfortable with the mechanics of doing and not have to be like searching, like scanning text on a page because you don't know exactly where you need to be looking right now is the thing that'll get you into trouble. The thing I like about a spreadsheet is you can put the selected cell you want right there. It's highlighted, you look, it's there. Like I'm looking, that's the question we're on. You know, that's the that's the guy I'm bidding on. Like it's, it's a quick way of being visually uh, drawn to the thing you need. So just make that as simple as possible and, like, and do, and just do – I don't think it's even – I don't know. I guess this is, again, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. But, like, I don't think it's requires that much prep ahead of time to get yourself in a place that you will not have as much clock anxiety. You may not have a great draft if you don't prep too much, but you may – But but I think you can avoid the basic, like, oh god, it's one second left. It's one second left every time I look at this page. What happened? Like, there's a way to avoid that, and I think that doesn't require, you know, too 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 much effort. Yeah, I think
2: the one other other thing to throw out there is if the auction continuously drives you a little crazy, or gives you anxiety, or you struggle with it, you know, when we had Eno on for the Starting Pitcher episode, he talked about how he thinks that the auction is always a waste. He doesn't find talent there. So it's a very different reason, but you can also just avoid the auction. You can yeah, spend your l- offseason l- l- trading for and keeping and building up a roster. So when you get to the auction, you have no anxiety because your roster is set and you feel good about
0: it. Yeah, 100% to add on to that, like famously in 2012, started an auction by nominating Giovanni Garrido at a price that is not fit for years. Like, let's just not talk about the price. It's way too high. But... <laughs> The lesson from that for me was like I have clock anxiety and I have a little bit of draft anxiety and I kind of don't have a read on my league. I took two or three seasons basically off from the draft where I kept a little bit more than I needed to and I built a little bit thinking in terms of let me again simplify the situation. Adding twenty five players to the auction draft is gonna give you clock anxiety if you have it already. Like you there are ways to avoid these things and like I I couldn't agree more with the last thing the chat said is, I guess, what I want to say.
1: Okay. I, I think we covered that that question, that topic. Now let's, we we've alluded to some of this already, but now let's talk about more like the in-auction tips. How do we handle the flow of the auction? Where do we think money is best spent in general? We've talked about some of these things before. For me, it's very much you know, there are a lot of ebb and flows where you'll see that there's premiums being paid during certain segments of the auction. Normally people run out of money eventually at dollar days and you can get some good deals, but you're getting deals on $8 players for a buck, which depending on what you think about that is exciting or not exciting. I think that one thing I want to mention, well, let me just start with the first question. Cause I think that relates to the thing that I wanted to mention next. So at Maddie on Slack, they wanted us to talk about draft strategy, the art of the nomination. And their example was, you've got Harper, you've got Stanton, you've got Blackman, they're the top available outfielders. Who do you want nominated first? We've talked about this a little bit before. I think, first of all, the very first nomination of the night in an auction is often going to be an opportunity to get a discount on a player. Because Maybe not everybody's really ready. Maybe not everybody's really paying attention. Maybe everybody's just being passive because there's still so many other players available and or and or maybe everyone just isn't aware of what the prices are going to be like tonight. So sometimes that first player, even though it's often the top player available, will still come at a deal that after the fact you'll look back at and say, man, I wish I'd gone another dollar on that guy because that was a value compared to everything else. So that for me is would depend on which one of these three do you want, whichever one you want the most. If you have the first nomination of the night and you know you want to get one of those outfielders, I would nominate the one you want first, and then bid them up to your max price, and you are probably going to get going to get a deal on them.
0: At, at the risk of at the risk of Chad really disagreeing with you here, because I don't know exactly what you are going to say. I think people get a little too clever with this kind of stuff. And I think we've seen the experience where we, we actually, actually, uh, Chad, I'll, I'll let you take it because we just had this experience in one of our drafts where the order, the nomination order, we wanted an outfielder. We didn't get to nominate the player we wanted to first. So that means the second player, everyone who, everyone nominated the first player, money went to him. We didn't want that player. The second player gets nominated and everyone's focused because only one person got the first player. Only one person got the first outfielder. That second outfielder, the one that Chad and I really wanted to grab, then gets the focus of everyone of eleven people's money that didn't get an outfielder that just wanted it right. And to, to me, I think some people try to like be deceptive about what they are trying to accomplish in the draft. But everyone can see your roster, and people are trying to be deceptive about like who are they interested in. Like I'm trying to show that I'm interested in this kind of player. Everyone can see your roster, so. It's not necessarily valuable to spend a lot of time overthinking this. And I think it's, it's always like if there are three players in the same category that you, that, of, that you want and one of them you really want, you got to nominate that guy. And you got to like be the person who's driving that auction because you can stop bidding whenever you want to then. Right. But if 11 other teams are now focused on outfield, you're going to have a hard time.
2: Yeah, I mean we that situation that we had was with Blackman and JD Martinez in the, the Brinks draft, Justin, the one that, that you're in as well, where we wanted J.D. Martinez, we were interested in JD, JD Martinez at the kinds of prices he was going for in most leagues. We had no interest in Blackman. I, I don't think there was any price at which I mean I should say that. If he was like fifteen bucks, we probably would have been perfectly fine with that. But there was no reasonable price at which we were gonna gonna bid on him. And so we nominated seventh in that draft. We were hoping – or eighth? Eighth, I think. And we were hoping that we could throw JDM as our first nomination. Instead, Blackman went before. And then we backed off and didn't nominate Martinez right away because with Blackman out of the way, we knew attention would turn to Martinez. And our hope was that a bunch of other guys could go and sort of drag up – up
0: our dollars. entire – our entire ability to acquire the player that we really needed, right? Because now we can't drive the JDM auction and now we are sort of beholden to somebody else who still wants an outfielder. And we're trying to figure out how to suck up money in the draft uh, that doesn't like, that can just make our JDM a little bit more attainable. And then it's not our JDM.
2: And it it happened to us again later in the draft with Brian Anderson and Hunter Dozier. It's a totally different tier of player, but we needed more outfield depth and we needed a backup third baseman. And so these two guys who happen to fit both, who are similarly valued, and we wanted Dozier and wanted to get him nominated first, specifically to nominate him first and have people know that Anderson was still out there, and then Anderson got nominated first. And then if, I, if I remember that one, Anderson got nominated first and we pivoted, bid on Anderson. I think we ended up with Anderson and then Dozier went for a lot more, didn't he?
0: Yeah, because we saw what the price of Brian Anderson was turning into. And we said, well, that means Dozier, who we who we think is probably going to be valued just a little bit higher, is going to be a real commodity after this auction is over. Right. So the way you think about it is like, again, if more than two teams are bidding, more than two people are going to be upset that they didn't get that player. Right. And not upset in a throw a fit way, but in a well, now I have available money and I'm going to use it on a similar player.
2: Right. So we ended up with a $10 Brian Anderson. Hunter Dozier went shortly later for 15 And that's effectively the exact same pattern that happened with Blackman and, and Martinez. And had it not been Blackman, had it been, I mean, using his example, had it been Stanton instead of Blackman, I think Niv and I would have felt really differently. I think we would have been much more likely to have said, we'll take either one of these guys. And in that case, I'm less likely to nominate either of them. If there's two of them and I'm happy with either, or if there's a yeah, group not... of five and I'm happy with any of them, then I'd rather drain money away and get other guys off the board and pull stuff down. And then as soon as one of those two is nominated, you go after them and you bid on them. Yeah. That's what I, happened I guess... to us with Anderson and Dozier. We preferred like answer... Dozier, but we were okay with Anderson. And it was fine to just let it play out however it played out. And we ended up with Anderson. And as much as I prefer Dozier at a $5 discount, I'll take Anderson.
0: Right. I think to answer the question from Maddie on Slack, if you don't want any of those players, you go I think you nominate the best player. If you really want like Blackman of the Harper Stanton Blackman trio, you you I think you nominate the player that that you want. But if you're trying to say like there are three good outfielders, I don't really need any of them and you're trying to like I don't know what you do there Justin, like I don't think you have to like think too hard about who to nominate if you don't really want an outfielder, right? To, to me, if you don't want one, you nominate
2: the best one, the one you think is going to go for the most money. Yeah, first. sure. You want to set up the money. Right, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Right, because then you said it. Then you say like, you get like all these you people have... who go to fifty five on Harper, and then they then you get Stanton out next, and they are like, instead of stopping at forty at Stanton, they go to forty five or fifty because they were already so high up on Harper, and now there's fewer options left. Like, I think that is what will drive up the value of all three the most. Whereas I think the, if you start with the middle one or the bottom one, you. Maximize the opportunity for a discount on the
0: one you start with, right? And it just depends on if you actually want the outfielder, and if you don't, right? And if you don't, then 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 Harper every time. And if you do, uh, the one you want, like what just exactly what Justin said to start. But you have to be clear about like what your goal is, and and what your budgets are there, because I think because especially Harper, Stanton, Blackman, like the that. That's a pretty big range of prices between the, differ- the the difference between those three, right? But once you get
1: down to like, if, if you think that that's, let's say that is an outfield tier that's available, whoever the last one is in that tier is going to go for way more than they would. The in most expensive. Leads. They will be the most expensive relative to their typical price is how I would put it. They may not yeah, that's be right. That's right. literally the most expensive, but they'll be the most overpaid right. relative to a, you know, what it, they would no, otherwise go for. And again, some of that, like that, that, that's just another effect of scarcity. The thing that we've been talking about this whole time. When there's one player left in a tier, and they're clearly in a tier above every other remaining option, they will go for. I just saw this in in a draft the other night, where George Springer was on the board forever. No one nominated him. I don't know why. I didn't. I didn't need an outfielder. I probably should have nominated him just to get money out. But once he finally came up, he was probably fifteen or twenty dollars more valuable than any other player on the board at that point, he went for $55 or something, some ridiculous price. Because at that point, there was there were no comparable hitters. There's, no one
0: close. Right. At the end of the day, there's always going to be more money than hitters, right? Like, is that, I mean, that... Yes, but I think... Maybe not always.
1: It, it, it's a matter of if I'm somebody who's holding a lot of cash and I want a certain amount of value to buy with that cash... You can't get that value with $10, $5 players. You'd rather compress it into one $40 player. And that's where everybody competes over somebody like Springer, who, like I said, was in a tier uh, to himself at that point in that particular auction. So, and the other thing I would say in terms of general nomination strategies, number one, like I said, very first nomination of the draft, I will typically nominate someone who I do want to win. Otherwise I am following the tried and true method of nominate somebody I'm not interested in to get money spent because the less money my competitors have available, the less competition they are for me. Once a player I do want is on the board. The other thing I will often do is let's say I already have my third base position filled or my catcher position filled. I'll just start nominating everyone starting from the best down to drive money out because I know I'm, I don't want this position at all. I've already locked it up and I'll just keep hammering that position, every nomination to get more of that money off the board. And, and that, so that's another thing I will do from time to time. So the next question is somewhat related to the first one, but, but each of these have a unique aspect to them. Dave Carlton on Twitter asked in my league, the outfield options are really scarce. There's only about 30 with positional value per the surplus calculator and lots of teams will be looking for outfielders. How do you handle this? Do you overpay for a top option? Do you carry fewer outfielders? He says they typically carry nine. Or do you leave slots open and fill in season? Thanks. What do you guys say to that? I
0: it's it's That's a tough situation. Scarce?
2: I mean, I don't, and I'm not I'm not trying to question the question. I actually don't know. I have no idea. I would well, say if this in,
0: if he's in the 20 team league, it is. I'll tell you that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, well, but but he's saying that's with any sort of value per the surplus calculator. Right. So, yeah. So, but, so but per- I
2: know that there's a good group of, let's say, eight ish outfielders that I can that I know of that are zero dollars in the surplus calculator, but who I consider roster worthy. I'm just, I'm actually like, I'm actually trying to figure out like in a league where teams are keeping 60% of the players they need ish, something like that, somewhere around 60%. And if you're carrying nine outfielders, 60% of that is about six, 30 outfielders across 12 teams. Plus a few other guys is about three per team. Sounds like it adds up to nine and not every team is going to have nine. So like it, it's it doesn't sound off to me when I when I think about it that way, so I'm not. I guess I'm not sure. I know if this is that shallow. Thirty outfielders sounds like sort of a lot of outfielders to me.
1: Maybe. Well, cha- then then change the question and change it to a situation where you where you know it is shallow, right? I mean, I think you're you're hung up on a part of the question that's not. I mean, well, the, yeah, the heart, I, the spirit of the question is right. If you find a position is so scarce do are you the one that's overpaying for that position like, like pitching i feel like the top end for starting me, pitching. for
0: me i like to, to answer the question justin like in the spirit of it i guess uh for me i overpay for the top end and i try to get that auction out as soon as possible if i'm saying there's not enough outfielders i'm getting harper or trout or whoever is the top outfielder available in auction as soon as possible and i'm probably willing to overspend on the sc value and then And then I combine that, I think, with leaving slots open, especially at a position like outfielder, starting pitcher, like positions that people will always sort of explode into people that people are players that people don't expect to show up will 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 be there. Right. There will be an outfielder this year that nobody knows is coming for a couple weeks or nobody expects to be as good as it as they are for the whole season. Like that happens every year. Right. So same thing for pitching. If it's something like catcher or third base, though, or like something that's a little bit like just a little bit tougher to fill, I can sometimes find myself like Outfield is tough because of the positional cap stuff and like being able to like maximize your games played there. I can find myself like just taking the 12th best third baseman or just say, taking whatever third baseman is left after because there are going to be more starting third basemen in Major League Baseball than there are on a- a- rostered and auto new leagues. Unless you're in the twenty team league, in which case, like I don't, we can't make a podcast just for you guys. I'm sorry, but <laughs> but like on the in the deeper positions, like outfield or starting pitcher, I probably want to overpay as early as I can, and I probably want to just be like, I'm going to go a little thin this year and and hope to pick someone up in auction. I think that's the way I go with it. I
2: think it. if you if you really believe that it's that scarce, then everyone's going to overpay for someone, and so your choice is do you overpay at the top for. Yeah, that's right. Stanton or a Harper or someone like that, or do you overpay at the bottom and end up with like a twelve dollar Josh Naylor, right? And so I I think if it's really that scarce that everyone's going to have to overpay, you're better off overpaying at the top. I I think what I would typically do if I'm worried about it at outfield is I would prioritize getting getting those guys at sort of the mid tier guys who are playing every day instead of platoon bats guys who are have less playing time concerns in general and guys who I'm more confident in my ability to use them and get production out of them because then I don't have to worry about having nine or ten and then at some point in the season I'll find that ninth guy on the wire and, and pick him up and it'll it'll help but if I've got if you have seven or eight outfielders who are playing every day and you can play matchups with them you can really get away with that until someone gets hurt. And the time it takes for someone to get hurt is hopefully enough time for you to also to find an eighth or a ninth outfielder, if that's what you feel like you need. And so uh, that's what I would do is I would right. just like, prioritize those guys who I'm confident in, regardless of whether that means I'm confident in like, maybe Stanton's actually a bad example. Maybe judge is a bad example, but like Harper I'm confident in um, at a lower tier, a guy like uh, a guy like Nick Castellanos, I'm pretty confident is going to get, get run. You start going down even further down the list and maybe like, Andrew McCutcheon, pretty confident he's going to be the yeah, guy play, leading Playing time game. is a
0: really good point, I think. Yeah. Playing time is a really good point on that one.
2: And just know, and feeling like you know what you're going to get out of him.
1: Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add here to what, what Niv and Chad just said. I, I agree. In general, yes, I don't like overpaying for anybody, but in a situation where I'm competing and there's a position, like if I really need an outfielder and I want to maximize the value of the auction money I have available... Yeah, I probably will slightly overpay to get that top option off the board because it matters so much to my roster construction and, and my competitive, you know, time frame that I'm under.
0: Yeah, I think just, sorry, Ch- Chad nailed it with everyone's overpaying. If it's thin, everyone's overpaying. Right. And, and a hundred percent, you do not want a $12 Josh Naylor when you could have a $60 Bryce Harper. Both those things are equal options to you. Like. Overpay at the top, right? I mean, but and, everyone's overpaying if it's then.
1: And again, as we mentioned in a prior question, if if you then have the opportunity to make that nomination first, then I would make it right away and and try to get try to get that player on the board as soon as possible. The next question we've had a question from from this person before at Carp Assassin Derek on Twitter with limited cap space. I'm most likely out on the star players. Should I nominate stars early in auction to burn other teams' cap? Yes, or should I? Yeah, I, I agree. I gonna, <laughs> we could absolutely stop there. Chad shaking his head. You can't gonna, see I'm him gonna, shaking his I'm head. I'm gonna dig. Well, I'm gonna well, dig. Well, well you guys are just, Justin
0: go. Okay. Justin so go the rest of the question
1: was, or should I nominate the mid tier of under five dollar players, or or I would classify mid tier, maybe ten or fifteen players early in the draft. So. Chad, you were shaking your head and you are you want to zig where we're zagging. So why don't you, I'll let I you mean, have the floor. The,
2: the obvious thing, I think the traditional thing is that you just, you nominate those stars, you draw the money out. However, while those stars are still out there, everybody else is still interested in them and waiting on them. And I think those mid-tier guys, and I, I do think it's, you know, anywhere from five to 10 to maybe even up to $15, if there's guys in that tier you like who aren't, overhyped, right? If, if you're trying to get, you're like, oh, you know who I really love at that, you know, 5 to $10 tier is Zach Plesak. Like, he's high ranked everywhere. People are talking about him all the time. I've already mentioned him earlier in this podcast. Like, you're not gonna sneak him through. But if there's a guy in that 5 or 10 dollar range who you really like, who you don't think is overhyped that way, you actually do have an opportunity I think to throw them out in the first round. Have everybody else who's like, "Oh, I sort of know that guy. I'm kind of interested in them, but like Clayton Kershaw is still out there and Garrett Cole is still out there and Jacob deGrom is still out there." So I don't want to I don't want to go Overpriced, like yeah, I think this guy's a five dollar guy. I'm not going to go to six or seven right now. I think the challenge later in the draft, the teams that miss out on those stars will go to six or seven on that guy.
0: Right, but the challenge there is that if you if you have a bunch of cap, and I've been in this position, and I I imagine you guys both have too, uh, if you have a bunch of cap, you don't really realize that that cap runs out quickly. And a guy like Plesak gets nominated kind of early and you're like, yeah, I can afford $8 on him. I can afford a plus one on him. I have $150. I don't care about that. And then you still think you're probably in on coal, which you probably are, except somebody else didn't bid $8 on Zach Plesak a minute ago. So you you now are you're you're sort of I mean, this scenario is is a bad scenario. So don't ever live the scenario. But you you miss out on your stars. You've taken away the mid-tier guys because they were nominated first and you were like, I don't really mind a plus one here. It still gives me budget to go get my stars. You underestimate how much the stars go for, and you end up with basically doing Carp Assassin's strategy of what of player acquisition in the draft without having the kept talent that Carp Assassin presumably has in order to not have a lot of free cap. So I think in that situation, like to avoid making one to say like one of the whales kind of like accidentally eat up your like the place where you want to live in the 10 to 15 dollar range you got to make the whale not a whale anymore you got to take up some of their money but i i also hear what you're saying jack because like i think i think i think maybe the best way to say it is like what's the ratio of free money to stars in your draft if there are only a few stars and a ton of money somehow then then i then then that's a problem that like i'm not sure how to deal with exactly off the top of my head but if there are enough stars to go around for the for all that money to get sucked up without affecting your $10 player, $8 player, $5 player, you got to get that money sucked up first. You just really have to, i think.
2: Yeah, see, i think i i
0: the the key
2: to it is those guys if you're going to nominate those inexpensive guys early, they need to not be the overhyped guys. They also ideally are guys in tiers where you've got two or three options, right? Where, so yeah, if, if you've got a $5 pitcher that you have to have and you can't go to six on him, yeah, then, then... Don't, then you're right. Don't do that early because you do run the rest. But like, if I've got a, if I've got, three or four $5 pitchers, four or five $5 pitchers that I'm interested in and I want one or two of them, I do think you have the opportunity to d- drop one early, have a bunch of people be like, there are like 30 better pitchers out there, right? Because it's not just, oh, I still have enough for Cole. It's I have enough right. for Cole and Kershaw and Plesak and Patrick Corbin and like, right? Because you got a whole list of guys in between that $5 guy and the star. And I do think, I, I find that you can get a $5 guy for $3 which doesn't seem like a huge discount, except if you only have the money to spend on $5 guys, getting one or two of them at $3 means you can go to seven on one or two of them later, or you can go to a $7 guy instead of a $5 guy. And so I, I think you have to find the right situation. You have to pick your spots. And again, it has to be not guys who are overhyped because they're gonna get bit up anyways, and not guys who if you lose them, it's gonna like throw off your strategy for the draft. Because you do run the risk well, – I mean, basically Niv, what you're saying is you run the risk of somebody who has a lot of money acting irrationally because they have a lot of money. Right. Which for sure can happen. If that happens on a guy that I'm desperate to get, that's bad. If it happens on a guy <laughs> that I want but I can live without, it, it's still soaking up money.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. I think like it, the question is like, what does the mid-tier or less than $5 player – what? How how does that player make you feel? And like, what do you need from that player? And that that's a really good point, actually. I, I, I wonder if I'm overthinking a little bit. If if this is like a, like like there's got to be some sort of like auction logic to this or whatever. But I wonder if there's like a thing where you 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 probably want to blend it in. You probably want your first round to be as big as possible. And I, and again, I, earlier in this episode, I just said like don't overthink this stuff and just be make the simple play or whatever the simple nomination but now i'm sort of thinking like well maybe the first two rounds you want to like put out the star and then the third round when everyone and you don't want to put a star you don't want to put one of your mid-tier guys up after a star just came off the board because everyone will pay attention like it, it really you can you can start building any kind of scenario here and i think at the end of the day i want less money out there as much as possible but i think you're right chad like if if you don't need the player soak up any money right just soak up all the money for, for me, to, to
1: for my answer to this question, it really comes down to the fact that if I don't have... A, so the question presumes that you don't have a lot of cap space. I want to maximize the purchasing power of whatever cap I have, whether I have a lot or a little. How do you do that? In a situation where I don't have very much cap space, I don't think I'm maximizing the power of that by nominating someone I actually want early in the draft. Yeah. I want to be in a situation where I'm bidding on players that I want when I have more money than most other uh, managers in the league. And to do that, you are going to have to be extremely patient. And I want to get money out. And I'm just nominating every single player that I think is going to go for the highest amount of money that that they could go
2: at that point. But I I, I don't think that's Never going to happen. You're never going to, if you're at a point where you have so little money that you're completely out on all the stars from the start and already playing in $5, there will never be a point at the draft where you're strong enough to bully people. It won't happen. You don't have enough. It's money. Not bullying I disagree completely. It's I disagree
1: completely. People,
2: right. It's not bullying. No, it's people.
1: it's it's being able to it's being, it's able, being to, able to not because be because bullied, what you're doing I think. is it's there's two competing dynamics in the auction. There is the the supply of players and the scarcity of those players at positions and tiers, and there's the supply of money that every manager in your league has. If they don't have any money to spend, I'm getting deals. Because they've already spent their money, or they've and they've overspent their money, and and, and some of that's going to depend on, you know, if if this particular league if is they
2: overspend their money.
1: Sure, but in a lot of sen- senses, that's that's what happens. I mean, you're you're the one that's been arguing <laughs> that the top inflation happens at the top, and you get discounts in the back end. Well, sure, yes, the only way to get those discounts, I think, is to wait.
2: I don't see. I don't, and I disagree. I think if you you need to. You need to get people, you need to get those people out there when everybody thinks they're going to win the stars.
0: If you wait till
2: everybody doesn't win the stars and there's two teams left that didn't win the stars, now you've lost everything. You have no chance. You're not getting any of those
0: guys. You might as well just give up. If there's a chance that somebody is left with $100 and you haven't gotten any of your players yet and all the stars are off the board, then yeah, but you're always in trouble in that scenario. If that's a scenario that can happen in which one team can be left with that much money left over, like that much, a multiple of how much money you have left over. Yes, I agree with Chad. But I think the reality is that Auto News economy doesn't really allow for that, right? I mean, I, I don't know.
2: I look at our I look at the drafts I've been in this year, and I have yet to be in a draft where there isn't a team walking out with somewhere between 30 and $50 in unspent money, which means that if you're the team that started with $40 of unspent money, you are never in a position to outbid people. The entire time the, this from the moment the draft starts, you're saying 30, maybe, to maybe
1: not in a literal sense, but you still have to have that other manager that has that forty dollars available where you have twenty five. They have to actually want that player you're nominating. Well, right. So so that's the other situation where, yeah, there's always going to be some
2: spend their money too.
1: But they may not like the player that you're nominating, I and mean, then that's the thing. You're going to have to be. You're going to have like to settle people, for.
2: Sure, but if they don't like the player you're nominating, they didn't like them before either, right? And that's that. No, the but the like,
1: teams, but the teams that spent all their money early might want, have liked I, I them. I think that's right because you
0: want as few people as possible. You're right? trying to limit now, the competition. Now, now, Chad, you can't disagree with that because there, if you have four no, teams I do, I that have I do forty dollars, if you have I think four teams with forty dollars and not, your definition
2: of having teams competing is wrong. You're assuming that at the beginning of the draft, people who th- see all of this talent out there are going no, to no, be no, competing no. for lower-priced guys who they no, don't no. necessarily want, who we aren't sure what they're thinking, who if they have, have other better ways to spend their money.
0: No, no, Chad, Chad. What I'm, what I think, what we're saying is that. And I think Justin and I agree on this is that if you have 5 like if you have 5 people with more money than you that is worse than having one person with more money than you right you're just saying there's if there's a potential of 5 different people one of them may want that player but I'm if not talking only one, about
2: I'm not talking about who actually has more money than you I'm talking about who perceives themselves to be in a position to spend more money than you that's what matters it's irrelevant who has more money than you what's relevant is who thinks they can spend more than you right now and if you have 10 teams that all have lots of money but are focused on, I don't I want like to miss on feel like you're making our argument stars. for us. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm but saying, I agree with
0: you because, oh, I, I see what you're saying. I'm saying, right. saying if, if,
2: you have, if you have 10 teams that have a lot of money and they are all also focused on buying up stars and you can sneak someone by them, that is a better position to be in than having four teams with a lot of money who know the stars are gone and i will just bid up whoever's left because what right, else are right. they going
0: to do? I mean, it certainly depends, but I think that at the end of the day, like... I mean, we did uh, this, Niv. We did this in Brinks. We spent money on
2: guys we didn't really need to spend money on, who had somebody nominated them earlier? We never would have bid on.
0: Yeah, but that's true. But then we would have gotten JDM, man. Like I think, like the the end result of that is that, like the dynamic of it is is there's only so many players. The uh, the money gets spent, right? And I think, you know, I, I think there are probably good points here all over in in this like mess of a conversation we're having right now. But at the end of the day, the way I look at it is that the fewer people you have to compete with, the better for you. And, and the fewer people to compete with, and, 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 and Chad Chad's right, there's, there's a varying degree of what compete with means. If you're in the second round, and everyone has $200, and you're like, well, I really want this $10 player. Yeah, you know what, maybe none of those people are competing with you, because they all are looking past that $10 player. That might be true. However, when you're taking that nomination, you're taking a big bet. That you're doing that right if you have one team with two hundred dollars and you're the only other team in the room because everyone else is done you're taking i think i think there's a little bit less of a risk there now that's not to say that chad that your scenario is implausible even i think that's like i think that's a really interesting strategy i think there's just a little bit more risk associated with it because there are more people that you need to slip by to make that work right and i don't think that's necessarily like so, it, think, it's interesting. It's
2: interesting. It's certainly interesting. I, I think that I think what I'm just getting at is I want to nominate everyone's backup plan because I want them to yeah, sit there yeah, and think like I don't want right, right, this isn't right. the guy I want. I want the I want my first choice. And if you if you wait till too late and you've drawn out money from eight teams but not eleven. You're no longer nominating someone's backup plan. You're nominating their, you're not, you are nominating their backup plan, but they've moved on to that plan.
0: But they are on that backup plan.
2: Right. And and that's, and that's like, it's literally, unfortunately, I can't pull up the draft results from Brinks right now because we have to make a cut. And so the system is locking (laughs) up to get them. But we did this. We, we overbid on guys. Well, we kind of did this. We we were like, what are we going to do? Keep our money?
0: I don't know if we were in a situation necessarily though in that league where like, Again, it depends on how. Did anybody really want Brian Anderson the much as much as we wanted Brian Anderson? Brian Anderson was on our sheet, man. He's not like maybe like but that they, all, was...
2: they all bid on Hunter Dozier, and right. they and the same people were bidding on Anderson and stopped sooner. And I think the, like the other example of this is Clevenger and Verlander. We stashed both of them because we had nothing else to spend our money on. So why not stash both of them? I think we stashed both of them. We at least yeah we one we,
0: of them. we stashed one of them, but we had a plan to stash both of them because but that was also because our plan. Um, fell apart of all well no i would say evolved you said fell apart. I said evolved. Did, did, that's like really it funny did fall apart. well you were in the room and i so wait 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 plan. so
1: your plan fell apart but you're making the argument that what you're arguing for right now is exactly what you did in brink no, no, no. where your plan Sorry. fell apart i'm no, so no, no, wait, no, 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 no no no
2: i'm arguing what i'm saying is justin let's say you had, you didn't have much money what, Brinks, what, we're, right? what we're saying what is we're is saying it, was that the other was that food and travel you didn't
1: have no i did not have very much money in brink so let's say that you wanted
2: clevenger let's say you were like I don't have a lot of money. I'm playing for next year. I'm going to stash Clevenger. Had you your, your nominated Carpus him early on, scenario. your carp right. assassins, right? Had you nominated him in the first round, we wouldn't have bid because we had other, other focuses. Yeah, he the, wasn't you, part of you, our you, plan. We would have stayed. We, I mean, maybe we would have been a bucket. You, two, you but might not have stayed have. out. Okay. But, but my argument
1: time. would be that in a typical auto new league, I don't think that the managers are looking at that player and they're looking at all the other available options. They're just saying, "Who's up for bid?" This is there's not simultaneous auctions going on. There's one player
0: oh, up. I think you wonder. Do I want people. this player?
1: Do I have enough money to bid on no, this player? No, I think that's fair. So think, then I'm
0: going to bid. And I think that's the point I, I, I don't was making too, Chad. Because, well, I think it's not most people. But only I, takes I'm one. I a lot of auctions. <laughs> That's it only all takes, I'm gonna say in response to that. It also it also only takes one, right? It doesn't take a lot of people. True. It only takes one. And that's and where I, think I that's made
1: where- the argument about limiting competition. And yes. And and I, I I can see the validity in Chad's argument where you're not limiting competition in the sense of the supply of money to spend, but rather in the 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 the, the amount of available. Other players that are more compelling than whatever player you're trying to sneak through in that moment. My right. only response is just that in 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 years of doing this in ten plus auctions every single season, my impression is that if you want to do what Carp Assassin is suggesting, that you want to try to you won't, don't have a lot of money and you want to you want to win guys you want. The best way to do that is to to do that later in the draft. You're not going to get any of those sneaky values in the beginning by trying to push them through.
0: This conversation, which I think, you know, we're like, we can go in circles a little bit more. I yeah. I mean, and, and it's just a situation where but, we disagree. But I think that the the real thing I'm getting from this conversation is now I want to kind of like improve my well auto news backend on the data collection in auction drafts. There's a lot of data that comes in there and I don't spend the computing resources to store all of it. And now I'm kind of like, well, you know, I, this is turning into a little bit of a coin flippy thing to me because I'm, I'm seeing Chad's side and I, I, you know, I, I tend to agree with Justin on this, but, but I, but I, I, Chad, I definitely see where but you're coming the good, from. The and I wonder is- if there's value in like saying here's like, if we could model an auction draft where we said, here's the average amount of money teams start with, here's where they, here's the kinds of bids that they place based on how much money they have at any given moment. I wonder if there's something to that that's like actually really compelling. You have
1: timestamps in the draft result export, don't you? So have, you could do that. You could you could order the draft results by of, when they occurred.
0: Kind of. I don't. I, as soon as and and you know, this is like a little bit of a technical aside, but as soon as somebody, if if Chad and I are bidding against each other, as soon as Chad presses plus one, my bid is on forever it's not stored the historical ramp up to the final price is not stored no and no no who's... no but
1: i'm saying but but the order in which the players were won during the draft is retained yeah, you can when you, you, can, you go to the auction draft results you can, page you can i, you I can start up the where everybody results
2: from league one from last year this year by the way in all of my auctions is weird because there aren't enough stars to go around so like drafts are moving quickly like it's been very different yeah but i pulled up last year's league one draft and early on So we got a $4.00 Miles Mikolas is like the eighth guy through, which I think is a perfect example of if you don't have a lot of money and you wanted a starting pitcher, he's a good, cheap starting pitcher. And he didn't go to like $10 or $12. Nobody bid him up. We also, within the first couple rounds, had a $2.00 Tom Murphy, a $2.00 Sean Doolittle, although closer, you know, relievers in 4x4. A $2.00 Cesar Hernandez was there pretty early. And then as I scroll later, you get like a $10.00 Garrett Richards, a $9 Cole Hamels, right? Those guys are not inherently more, significantly more valuable than Mikolas was going into last season. And yet they went for twice the amount of money later in the draft.
0: And well, I think, and the I think question,
2: this is exactly the, question, the scenario where if you wanted one of those three guys, and you nominated question, one of them in the first round, you were going to get a better deal.
0: The, the question has to be, S, and you have to evaluate how much money is there going in. Because if the money is too much to be absorbed by the stars... Then, then Chad's right, I think. Maybe not 100% right, but I, I would lean more towards Chad's direction on this. If there is not, a, like it really depends on how much money you're up against in in total and on any individual team, right? If you have five teams that are rich, if you have 10 teams that are rich, you might be up against too much money to be able to effectively wait it out, right? If you don't have enough, if only a couple teams are over $100 and most of the teams are sitting in $70, $80, you might be able to wait that money out, right? And I think like that maybe is where the 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 disagreement that we're having right now comes from. Is it entirely depends, as as all questions, on the nuances of your own league and like where the money is sitting, right? Yeah. So well, and, know, I, I, and I just think your your opportunity like that using
2: that example of Nikolaus Hamels and, and Richards last year. If you were looking at those three guys and you thought, I want one of these three, I can only really spend five bucks on one of them. I'm not super particular about which which one it is. Putting the guy you want out there first or one of the ones you like out there first is either A, going to get you a deal, or B, not going to change anything. Because someone's going to overspend on that guy, which is fine, and then the stars will still all get nominated because the stars always get nominated early by everyone else anyways. Like The stars are getting nominated early. Your one nomination isn't moving that needle one way or the other. And so you're not like, I don't think the choice here is do we nominate the stars and draw the dollars out or do I try to sneak someone through? It's do I try to sneak someone through or do I not? The stars are getting nominated earlier and they're going to draw the dollars out, whether you do it or not. And I think if you're in a position where there's, you know, $1,000 to spend on stars and $600 worth of stars available, those stars will get pushed out early. The later ones of those stars will go for too much. Instead of $600, they will go for 700 and there will still be $300 sitting around. And what you want is for people at the beginning of the draft thinking, I don't know how many stars are going to get nominated. I don't know. Maybe I could buy two of them instead of one of them. Maybe I could go after three of these guys instead of two. You want those people saying, why am I buying a $5 Cole Hamels or a $5 Miles Nicholas now? When there's so many better options out there and they ignore them and they go and they look at their sheet and figure out who they're going to nominate next and strategize for what's coming because it's a waste of their time to nominate on this, nominate this or bid on this guy because there's a bunch of other guys they could get instead. Whereas later in the draft, if there's not enough money soaked up, one or two of those teams is going to go, well, I didn't get the three starting pitchers I wanted near the top, so fine, I'll go to $10 on, on Richards, I'll go to $9 on Hamels and now you've paid twice as much. For the same caliber of player, just because they have money to burn that early in the draft, they thought they should save.
1: This, this question generated a lot more discussion than I expected it to. Now, the good news is this was our last question. We've, we've covered all five that we were um, provided by our listeners. So I think, I think we will put us, put an end to the episode here. We legitimately could record another hour long episode, probably covering a lot of other things we didn't get to in this one. We were, we, we just. Had too many other good discussions about these particular questions to get to some of the other things that I thought we might have gotten to on this episode. But anything else you guys want to add before we we, we call this a, a wrap here?
0: All oh right. man, I mean it was a good. I mean, I, auction drafts are super interesting. That's the only thing I'd add to it. It's like it. it yeah, we could have recorded. A I five
1: mean, hour. We, we 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 touched on some of it when we just we recorded our keeper inflation, right? We were doing sort of meta analysis from a keeper perspective. You can apply some of those same meta analysis to the auction draft and as chad was saying like how do you you know he's he's making an argument that you can get those values early i'm making an argument that you can't i think a lot of it has to do with the league dynamics the positional context you know and and it, it, again every episode is generating another project for me this could be another project as well where i take auction results and i look at players that went in the top half of the draft versus their typical auction price? Because that's the key, right? It's, it's, it's versus what they would normally go for. And then is there any difference is, between being nominated? If you're, if you're a $7 player on average, like your last 10 ads are $7. Are you more, you know, is that average higher if you're nominated in the first 40 nominations or is it lower?
0: That's super um, interesting. I I would really, I I, I would like to help you with that project. That is an interesting okay. project to me now. Yeah, we, we, Chad that has something. convinced me that this is an interesting project to if me. If
1: I have to spend hours researching this just to prove Chad wrong, I will.
0: <laughs> and if he's yeah. right,
1: we will never see the light of day.
0: Yeah, Justin, welcome <laughs> to literally my entire friendship with Chad. <laughs> 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 All right. We, we 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 must put an end to this madness and we
1: will we will stop the episode here. As always, thank you for listening. When we do put these calls out, you can find us on Twitter at Autobot Pod. We will be continuing our positional preview series on the next episode and have a good night.